In April 2020, the American College of OBGYN will release a committee opinion on the confidentiality for adolescent health care. We know that adolescent health care, specifically regarding to gynecology, can be a very touchy and confusing issue. So this committee opinion lays out some ground rules and will actually expand on that committee opinion to provide more information. So let's get to this ACOG committee opinion, which is number 803 from April 2020. During the past three decades, research has supported the importance of the provision of confidential health care for adolescents and illustrated that if not provided, adolescents and young adults will not seek out prescription contraceptives, receive screening and treatment for STDs, or disclose substance use to the providers at their medical visit. Moreover, they may withhold information from their health care provider and may not return for subsequent visits. During the adolescent years, adolescents transition from children to adults and clinicians need to support the adolescents' individualization and their developing autonomy. By ensuring confidentiality for certain healthcare concerns, healthcare providers are supporting this crucial milestone of adolescent development by fostering decision-making skills. This approach also reflects the physician's ethical obligation to ensure the patient's overall well-being. National medical organizations, including the American Academy of Pediatrics, the Society of Adolescent Health and Medicine, the American Academy of Family Practice, and the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists have supported the need to provide confidential care for the adolescent. Not only do they call for such care, but they also advocate for education of adolescents and their parents about the importance of confidentiality, particularly for evaluation, testing, and treatment of STDs, and preventative reproductive health care, even contraception, and pregnancy-related services. Confidentiality refers to protection of privileged and private information shared during a health care encounter and in medical records that documents the encounter. Confidentiality for adolescents accessing healthcare is obviously quite complex, and concerns about lack of confidentiality can be a barrier to appropriate healthcare. Confidential care for adolescents is important because it encourages access to this care and increases discussions about these sensitive topics that we've already discussed. Adolescents face potential harms to their health from mental health disorders, interpersonal violence, substance abuse, and, of course, unprotected sexual activity. As adolescents navigate this important developmental period, OBGYNs and any healthcare provider who's doing adolescent gynecological or well-woman care should engage with them and promote best practices that protect adolescents' vulnerability and assist them in developing, once again, their own autonomy. Okay, now obviously there's some state-specific laws that can apply here when we're dealing with adolescent gynecological care and pregnancy, but we'll cover that in just a minute. But in general, how do you actually provide confidentiality for an adolescent who may have a parent or a guardian with them? Well, according to their college, there should be private conversation time between the healthcare provider and the adolescent patient. The ACOG recommends that a chaperone be in the room during the physical exam, as well as during diagnostic studies like a transvaginal ultrasound. Patients should have autonomy regarding parent or guardian presence during the exam, but a parent or guardian should not take the place of a chaperone. So once again, it's important that even if a parent is with the adolescent, a separate chaperone should still be there. 
If a patient declines a chaperone, it should be explained that the chaperone is an integral part of the clinical team and whose role includes assisting with the examination and protecting the patient and the physician. Any concerns the patient has regarding the presence of a chaperone should be elicited and addressed if feasible. If, after counseling, the patient refuses a chaperone, then this decision should be respected, but it should be documented very clearly in the medical record. Now, adolescent patients should be informed that there are laws protecting their confidentiality in all healthcare settings. However, there are some circumstances when it is necessary for the OBGYN physician or other women's healthcare provider to share private information with either a parent or a guardian or others, and that's just to protect the well-being of the adolescent patient. Adolescents should be made aware of specific instances when private information may be disclosed, like suicidal or homicidal ideation or acts, self-threatening drug misuse, and an eating disorder causing bodily harm. In these cases, share decision-making between the patient, the parent, or the guardian, and the healthcare provider, when possible, is, of course, the goal in order to optimize the adolescent's medical care. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, now here's a clinical pearl. All states and the District of Columbia allow minors to consent to and be treated for sexually transmitted infections. And this is done without parental consent. Now, other states have consent laws that include substance misuse treatment, pregnancy prevention and care, in other words, contraception. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. And sometimes abortion services, but this highly varies, of course, by state. The committee opinion does make very good points regarding confidentiality and medical records where a parent or a guardian may have access to the minor's account. OBGYN and other healthcare providers can establish electronic health record systems that consider adolescent-specific modules or entries that keeps certain things confidential. Optimally, OBGYN providers or other professionals should ensure that medical record information, including things that were given under a minor's own consent, should still be kept confidential despite access by a parent or a guardian. Similar recommendations are supported by the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Society for Adolescent Health and Maintenance. If the electronic health record system does not allow for procedures to maintain adolescent confidentiality in the record, then the provider should inform the patient that parents or guardians will have access to the records and the patient should be given the option of referral to a healthcare provider who is required to provide this confidential care. There are specific areas that are considered highly confidential even for an adolescent patient and they should be respected. These include issues regarding sexuality, gender identity, substance use, mental health, and sexually transmitted infection history. Parent or guardian's access to the patient's visit notes through the electronic patient portal or medical record could pose potential confidentiality breaches, and this is something that could potentially have adverse outcomes for the adolescent patient because of distrust of the healthcare system. 
Overall, any healthcare provider is encouraged to know their individual systems and institutions' policies regarding confidentiality, electronic health records, and patient portals. The following are examples of how some institutions have provided protection to adolescents. Now, these are not applicable to all institutions or all systems, but according to the college, for patients aged 12 to 17 years of old, manage or restrict parental or guardian access to provider notes can be done and is actually recognized by the college. Yeah, you can actually restrict what the patient's parents or guardians can see. ACOG also states that parental or guardian access to the electronic health record of the adolescent patient should be set to expire at the age state law requires for confidentiality. When a patient turns 18, allow the electronic health record system to reset the patient as an adult. This will allow patients to create their own direct access to their record rather than through a parent or a guardian. And of course, for patients age 18 or older, it's important to require a signed release of information for a parent or a guardian to ask health questions about the adolescent by telephone. Remember, that's an age cutoff in general of 18. It's also important to ensure confidential information is kept in a separate section of the EHR and is not part of the open access record. This can be done by adding the flag of the portion of the visit as confidential in order for those sections to be omitted from access from a parent or a guardian. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We have to review some legal terms here, including mature, minor, and emancipation. A mature minor is an adolescent younger than a set age, typically 18, who, even if living at home as a dependent, demonstrates the cognitive maturity to give informed consent. The capacity of an adolescent to consent for health care as a mature minor is influenced by the minor's developmental maturity, previous experience with illness, the gravity of the current illness, and the risks of proposed therapy. The rights of a mature minor to consent to medical care without previous parental or guardian consent has been recognized in many states. Then there's the whole issue of emancipation. This is a legal procedure whereby minors become legally responsible for themselves and their parents or guardians are no longer responsible either financially or otherwise. The minor can consent to medical, dental, or psychiatric care by themselves. Now, statutes do vary by state, but minors may become emancipated when they marry, serve in active duty in the U.S. military, or obtain a declaration from a court. Okay, now as we get to the end of our podcast, a quick word about being pregnant as a teen and parenting teens. Pregnant teens can consent to their own health care in most states as well as that of their child. Questions do come up about the rights of the teen father. Generally, if a teen is listed as a father of a child on the birth certificate, he would have the same parental rights as the teen mother to make informed decisions for that child. However, here's the tricky part. It is quite variable as to whether a parenting teen can consent for their own health care if they're still a teen. In other words, a pregnant teen can consent for care for their child, 
but after they deliver, they may not be able to consent for their own health care. How weird is that? So remember to check for each state's specific laws and guidance because this can be an obviously a complex issue. Let's talk about teen contraception. Parental consent is not required for minors to receive information about family planning. Information is free and doesn't require any parental consent. However, consent issues for contraceptives do vary. While minors do not need parental consent to purchase or receive non-prescription contraceptives like foams or jellies or condoms, Texas, for example, does require minors to get a parent's permission to receive any prescription for contraception. Now, in Texas, when parental consent is required, the parent must sign both the general consent for treatment and the method-specific consent for a prescription method of contraception. So that's a clinical pearl. Watch your state's worrying because, for example, as in Texas, it's method-specific. In other words, whenever the method is changed to another prescription method, in other words, going from the pill to, for example, Nexplanon, then the parent must sign another method-specific consent for the adolescent. Now, there are exceptions to parental consent requirements. Under federal law, minors may give their own consent and receive confidential family planning services on request if the funding source is Medicaid or Title X Family Planning Program. Again, any clinic that is Title X can give out prescription for birth control without parental consent. What about emergency care? Well, appropriate medical care for teens with an urgent or emergent condition should never be withheld or delayed because consent cannot be obtained. And that is straight out of the American Academy of Pediatrics Committee on Pediatric Emergency Medicine. In the case of an emergency, either parent may consent to emergency medical treatment. In the case of emergency treatment to preserve life or limb, a provider does not need consent from a parent or a conservator. As an emergency progresses, healthcare personnel should at least attempt to contact a parent, guardian, or conservator. Now, providers should seek consent or assent for emergency care from a teen patient as appropriate for the teen's development, age, and understanding. All right, podcast family, we're so glad that you're part of our listener audienceship. This has been a quick review of the April 2020 ACOG Committee Opinion on Adolescent Care, and we've even expanded some of the information for you. Thanks for being part of our podcast family. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.